0: podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network.
1: Welcome to the Pakistan Cricket Podcast. Episode 15, Atif Nawaz on Comedy, Commentary and the England-Pakistan T20i Series. I had a great time chatting with the stand up comedian, actor, writer, presenter, and cricket commentator, Atif Nawaz. We discussed his unusual journey into cricket commentary, the art of commentating, BBC's Test Mat special. And at the end, I also asked him to reflect on the recently concluded T20i series between England and Pakistan. Looks like it is recording. So it's my pleasure to welcome the stand up comedian and cricket commentator, Atif Nawaz. Welcome to the podcast, Atif. How are you? I'm
0: very well, Sami. Thanks for having me. I'm looking forward to chatting.
1: Yeah, it's a shame. Uh, you know, a Hijab was going to join me as a co host, as you know, but, uh, you know, she had an important commitment come up late, uh, which, and so that means she couldn't join, but um, that would have been fun as well. But hopefully that me asking you questions alone is okay as well. Um, so it is.
0: It is. I was just going to say that that girl's career tra- trajectory is on an upward. Uh, Spike, so I can. Uh, she's going to get busier and busier, and going to do better and better things. And at some stage, hopefully, she'll give us both a job. That's what I'm thinking. <laughs>
1: yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. It's amazing to watch, and yeah, couldn't happen to a nicer person. It's 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 amazing. Absolutely. To see. Who knows where that's going to go, but it's definitely on the way up. Um, so I guess the obvious place, at least for me, to begin this conversation is how does a Pakistani fan and stand-up comedian end up commentating on BBC's you know flagship Test mat special? Could you tell us a little bit about that journey?
0: I'm still trying to work it out myself, to be honest with you, Sammy. Like <laughs> it's really bizarre because I I always loved cricket. I, I wanted to you know, I grew up, my parents really wanted me to play cricket to a good level. Had a little bit of talent growing up, but not enough to really break through. And I sort of peaked playing sort of under fifteens, under sixteens cricket mm-hmm. for um my county. But I never went beyond that. Played for my university a little bit, but obviously all the way throughout was a huge cricket fan, loved you know, just sit there and watching matches endless, endlessly. Mm-hmm. And alongside that, I kind of built a career as a stand-up comic. I was doing some acting. I had a couple of nice TV shows, so mm-hmm. that was all going really well. uh And one day, I got a call from a guy called Mervin Ramsey, who works for the Lords Taverners, which is like a cricket-themed charity in London. Mm-hmm. And he said to me, "Hey, we're we're having this uh, charity cricket match. We're playing Test Match Sofa." Uh, and I said, oh, OK, cool. I don't know who they are. He's like, oh, don't worry. Just come play a game of charity cricket. They're, they're a fun team. We'll have fun. I said, all right. So uh, I went to the game. Um, I didn't score very many runs, I remember, but I did take a catch off Angus Fraser's bowling. I was very pleased oh, wow. with that. <laughs> um, yeah, it was it was great. Right. And uh, after the match, I started chatting to the opposition team, which was Test match Sofa. And I learned that they were like an in- Internet uh, cricket commentary service okay. at the time. That was very rare. This is way back in sort of and. I want to say 2010 or
1: 11. So is it like Guerrilla Cricket? Was that a similar? Sort of...
0: Yeah. So before Guerrilla Cricket, there was Test Match Sofa. Oh, I didn't know that. And then Test Match Sofa was eventually bought out by the cricketer, um, who eventually decided to discontinue using it. And then the original stakeholders, well, some of the original stakeholders of Test Match Sofa decided to form Guerrilla Cricket, which exists to this day. Fascinating. So basically... I got on so well with Test Match Sofa. I joined their team, but as like it's not really a formal team. It's just who's available, uh, mm-hmm. who wants to come down, who fancies watching this game, and just broadcasting out there. And I did that for like for a good seven, eight years, you know, across uh, Test Match Sofa and Guerrilla Cricket. Um, never really thinking it would lead to anything. Never really thinking about it going anywhere. It was all just for fun, right? It was so mm-hmm. much fun just to hang out with these dudes and talk about cricket, particularly Pakistani cricket in my case, because. You know, that was always been my main interest area mm-hmm. uh, in the game. Although, of course, you know, I watched everything. We did everything We did the IPL. We did, uh, you know, various series and things like that. So eventually, um, Guerrilla Cricket got the rights to be the official audio broadcaster for Ireland's first ever test match, which was against Pakistan. And that was at Malahide. um and a week before I went, I got a call from somebody at the BBC who asked me to, if I would be interested in being a guest on Middlesex's commentary service because they know I'm a lifelong fan of Middlesex County County Cricket Club. And, uh, you know, I built a bit of popularity as a comedian, as an actor. So they thought, okay, he's like a celebrity guest type thing. So anyway, I go out to Ireland with Gorilla Cricket. We we do the whole thing. As I get back, and it was great fun. I had a lovely time. You know, Pakistan won a thrilling test match. It was great fun, right, mm-hmm. in Malahide. I get back uh, off the flight and I've got a... Uh, voicemail from isha guha right oh. who um, <laughs> formerly obviously england uh, yeah. fast bowler world number one world cup winner and now the face of bbc uh, and an amazing cup. commentator Trent.
1: amazing commentator as well. a fan,
0: amazing commentator amazing presenter just a lovely person someone who's become one of my you know uh, closest friends so she called me and said the bbc has just asked me to do a new podcast about cricket i said all right that sounds fun uh she said um they've got a list of comedians they want me to work with but i like i'd like for you to do it nice. and i said are you sure because like i mean everybody else on the list was super famous or whatever you know like really really famous mm-hmm. and i'm sort of this was certainly compared to them small time uh and she said yeah yeah no no you know it'd be great fun just agreed to do the demo i said no problem so i turned up to the studio that podcast would be go on to be called the dusra and uh um, that's
1: right yeah I see, I've that's heard the that.
0: dusra it became really popular and all of a sudden uh the producer at uh, of Test Match Special was talking to me regularly and saying, "Hey, I- I've heard you've done a bit of commentary with Gorilla Cricket and Test Match Sofa, and um and now you're doing Middlesex as well. This is all wonderful. How would you feel about doing some commentary for us?" I said, "I'd love to." So he said, "Okay, we're doing uh the Big Bash this winter. We'd love for you to be part of the Big Bash commentary team." I said, "Cool." So that was my first real exposure. We're doing the Big Bash on the BBC. We're doing it off. Uh, screens because obviously we're not in Australia for the Big Bash Mm -hmm. Uh, that followed after that was the IPL so between the IPL and the Big Bash I think I developed a reputation for being like very energetic and excitable and just really like kind of high you know just really noisy and somebody who tries to engage you in the game Uh, and then eventually I got to do a few more things but then like when Pakistan were touring England in 2020 the COVID year that's when things sort of went bigger in between that, during the 2019 World Cup, TMS, the BBC Test Match Special were using me to do this podcast. But alongside that, I bumped into Zena Abbas, who said she had a very busy workload, but mm-hmm. she'd committed to do a show for a brand with Wasim Mukram. Mm-hmm. She wasn't. She wasn't. She's also a friend, and she said she was too. She was too busy to do that show. She said to me like, Are they, "Have you got some time to do some work with Wasim Mukram? I said, <laughs> "Yeah, yeah, I can make time for that." <laughs> um, so that was amazing because all of a sudden, I think I developed more of a kinship with Pakistani cricket fans because here i am with wasim akram mm-hmm. we did 12 episodes of this show and it's always great fun Wasim always up for a laugh and he doesn't mind mm-hmm. like joking and messing around and i'm obviously being quite irreverent and he's okay with that he didn't insist on things being too formal so we had mm-hmm. a lovely he's got a time good sense doing of humor that. for sure he does. He has a great sense of humor. I'm always slightly worried because he, 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 when he gets angry, uh, I, he's <laughs> like the Hulk. You, you wouldn't like him when he's angry. But uh, <laughs> I'm always a bit wary. But he's always been super sweet with me. I remember I've been to, I got to go to his house and meet his family. And oh, wow. you know, it was all just really, really lovely. The whole experience was really lovely. And it just helped me build, build more credibility because when that 2020 series happened, it was very difficult for the BBC to get a hold of experts for that coverage. Because it was COVID, nobody can fly into the country. Um, we're gonna be in a bio bubble, so nobody's allowed to leave Southampton. We're in at the Aegeas Bowl in Southampton. And we're not allowed to leave, right? We have to literally live there for like twenty five days. Mm-hmm. Um, they got a hold of Azar Mahmoud and Yasser Arafat wow, for like okay. for like bits and pieces. Mm-hmm. But like in terms of like ball by ball commentary, they usually they used to go to Ramiz Raja. He wasn't available. They used to go to you know various people that just weren't available. And mm-hmm. they thought, okay, Adif, we're going to try something here because you're British, obviously, but you're a Pakistan cricket fan. So we're going to put you in the spot of a ball-by-ball commentator. So like a lead commentator mm-hmm. that is also sort of you know aligned with one of the teams. So you can offer insights to the Pakistan team. Uh, and I, of course, I, you know, I was thrilled for the opportunity. I was desperately bored sitting at home in COVID because you're not allowed to go anywhere. Yeah. Um, so I jumped at the chance. And then that series, I was really lucky. The audience was really receptive. they really liked me they were uh you know they had loads of kind words to say about me, of course, not everybody, but overwhelmingly, the majority seemed to enjoy my work mm-hmm. and t m s said right son, you're part of the team now, and wow. then I got to be a part of like a a million other things, including doing the i p l again and continuously doing the i p l for the b b c which is something I really enjoyed doing i was kind of joke about being one of the only Pakistanis in the world is allowed to be involved with the IPL. Um, and, uh, not yeah, I mean, far you know, from I, the truth, like,
1: not that far from the truth, really. <laughs> it really
0: isn't, yeah. There's, if there's anybody, they're all in production and there's only a handful uh-huh. nowadays. So yeah, I mean, so after 20, that 2020 series, like I was in, uh, there was a piece I did, which was about languages, which they really loved. It was about the diversity of this the the Pakistan cricket team of -hmm. 2020, and indeed now that it's one of the more diverse teams. It's not just like an Urdu-speaking or Punjabi-speaking culture. There's so many different languages, so many different parts of the country being represented, Mm -hmm. and uh, it was just a different lens from which England had ever looked at the Pakistan team. So, yeah, I... That's kind of how I ended up there. So it's sort of a longish story. So sorry for the long no, answer, no, but- I'm,
1: that That's what I was looking for. And it's fascinating. I didn't know, um, going back a little bit, because, uh, you know, I think I told you earlier, I want to definitely ask questions about, you know, now that you're working with TMS and the sort of style of the BBC, and we're going to get to those questions in a bit. I didn't know that you uh, did commentary for Guerrilla Cricket and those sorts of, um, you know, platforms, which I find actually quite fascinating. Um, I'm curious what the sort of setup was, you know, what was the pre-recording uh, process or style? What was, uh, how did it all work? I'm just curious, could you just paint a picture of how Gorilla Cricket worked when you were working with them?
0: I, I absolutely can. Um, Gorilla Cricket and Test Match Sofa were very similar. It's certainly in spirit, right? The idea was that you sit on a sofa in someone's house and commentate on the match and obviously they've got some mics and mic stands and there's like Uh a mixer in the separate room there's some sometimes you were lucky enough to have a producer as well just listening out for everything and making sure levels and all the tech was uh Mm -hmm. working as it should be and that's it and you know it was a really cool setup because we had four people on at any given time one person to commentate the ball one person to be like an expert like give some analysis another person to to read tweets at the end of overs um they were one of the first sort of you know coverages or first sort of projects to incorporate reading tweets as well like at live tweets as the as the game went on and now you listen to the radio or, or watch tv and live tweets are constantly being Absolutely. read but i'm talking about back yeah, in yeah. back in 2012 nobody was doing wow. that except for these guys and uh, and it was great fun and then you got another person who plays jingles which was always really fun because every <laughs> cricketer every wicket everything had its own little theme song uh, and we played all these jingles and it was, yeah, it was, it's as informal as you can imagine. Uh-huh. People are allowed to like swear and all that kind of stuff. Exactly. Um, yeah. <laughs> and like, it, you know, and sometimes people enjoy that kind of coverage. I totally understand why it was so popular and it created a lot of uh, resources. I mean, Daniel Norcross, who founded uh, Test Match Sofa, he went on to, he's now part of the BBC TMS team, Absolutely. a core member. Uh, Andy great became, the yeah. mm-hmm. yeah, Andy's became the scorer. yeah. And he's also became the scorer for TMS and he's, you know fantastic and you know I, I i quite like his career i like the idea of paralleling it a little bit because obviously he's still a stand-up comedian uh but much more successful than i but you know uh he's just he's a just a really lovely guy to hang out with and spend time mm-hmm. with um and uh, obviously there's myself but there's various other people who were part who dropped in who came in and then ended up you know in and around the mainstream cricket was jared kimber one of them as well Jared Kimber was yeah Jared Kimber was a huge part of Test Match Sofa, less so guerrilla cricket yeah he was one of the core members of uh, Test Match Special as well and this is at the time he was doing his blog Cricket with Balls mm-hmm. and again so much fun to hang out with we would just sit there all day and talk about cricket and tv and film we even wrote a script together at one point that sadly <laughs> didn't go anywhere really uh, what was it
1: called what was the story
0: it was about it was about a cricket club um in london and it was just it was really silly it was just full of jokes and sort of silly little observations that we had and we sort of pinged it back and forth uh and sadly didn't get anywhere we did pitch it to a couple of channels we should try and pitch it now although i think we're both at different stages in, <laughs> in life and our career at this point that was a good that was a good 10 years ago now but yeah jared was there, i mean so many really interesting people who came out I and mean, a lot of people who didn 't go anywhere but also had really cool perspectives on the game, mm-hmm. so I loved you know sort of listening to nigel walk uh, nigel uh, walker Nigel Henderson, the two nigers you know they were so they were so interesting and you know people like Gary Naylor like, there were so many amazing people that I probably wouldn 't meet somebody mm-hmm. in any other circumstance of life other Aside than to that. sit and watch a game of cricket with and it was it was just gorgeous, and I really loved it, I really sort of cherished those times and i I really think at, at, like towards the end, at least, it turned into a bit of a finishing school for me before mm-hmm. I went and did, uh, did BBC Test Match special.
1: Fascinating. This is, I didn't know about this, uh, this part of your career. So that's fascinating. And I, I do love gorilla cricket. I love the irreverence. I love the sort of informality. I love the difference it brought to the sort of, uh, cricketing viewing sort of experience, really. So, um, that's good to know. Now I'm curious about what your take is on the fact that, You know, it feels like, at least to me, that the space for non-cricket commentators um, in general, uh, you know, depends on the broadcaster and the country, of course, has been closing from what I can see. You know, it seems almost exclusively for TV, at least, former cricketers doing commentary. You know, you have good examples, bad examples. You know, for instance, uh, some of the guys, some of the people I really like is maybe, uh, you know, people at Sky Sports. And, you know, they train former cricketers in the vocation of commentary. You know, they're not just former cricketers talking. They actually train them how to be professional broadcasters, um, Nasser Sen, Atherton, Isha Guha, you mentioned earlier, Mark Butcher as well. But from what I remember growing up, commentary on TV, uh, you know, used to have a mix of ex-cricketers, you know, like Benno, Laurie, Tony Gregg, et cetera, alongside the likes of Umar Qureshi from Pakistan, maybe, or Tony Cozier from Barbados, or Henley Blofeld on TMS, where you're at now. Um, how do you see this? You know, this is just my impression as somebody from the outside. Do you see the space opening up again for people who haven't? had a sort of professional career i think
0: it's the most open now than it ever has been Mm -hmm.
1: i think your observation
0: is bang on it is sort of like a vocation that sort of held back for 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 cricketers i think the idea is to kind of continue to serve the sport or give cricketers an option post career and everything and as you say there's so many examples of great broadcasters who were before becoming great broadcasters Mm -hmm. were cricketers um there's a lot there is a sense of that i think you know, it's if you if you haven't played professional cricket to come into the broadcasting industry in the in the sport of cricket, it's very difficult, definitely. Uh, however, on the radio in particular in England, which is really big, and people often think, "Oh, radio, what's the big deal?" The radio often draws a significantly bigger audience than the television does, absolutely. Because it's you know it's free, right? Exactly. Um, so, well, relatively free. You've still got to pay a license fee, but that's different, right? Um, mm-hmm. So, people really enjoy that coverage, and it's very important for that to be more engaging on television the pictures are more uh, are, you know they will carry the broadcast so if you're watching oh i don't know india versus pakistan it's less relevant who's broadcasting it on tv because you're so engaged in it you might be sitting with your friends you might be talking over it so on and so forth mm-hmm. if you're in your car listening to india versus pakistan you're driving from i don't know london to birmingham you can't see the action it's so important for someone to be able to paint that picture for you Absolutely. you know like you know they're playing it The the Gaddafi Stadium in Lahore and the lights are shining brightly. The outfield is lush, a little bit of dew flicking off uh, the edges of the surface and, you know, packed cover field, four men inside, one deep in the covers protecting that boundary, shorter boundary towards the leg side. You got a fielder, and finally like, he was up inside the circle. An opportunity for the batter, who just prods at the surface with the end of his bat, looking around, surveying the field, and now he takes his guard as the bowler is at the top of his run from the College Road end. In he comes now, bundling in, and he bowls, and that, see that picture building. You know, that's what and you take it to the next level. You talk about the clouds or it's a dark sky in Lahore, but a few drops of rain. Like you want to make it as 3D as possible. You want to paint a picture for the listener that they get, you know, that they, they can visualize what you're saying because they don't have the pictures to go by. Um I think there's broad cut. there's certainly ex-cricketers who can do that, and obviously there are because we have them, but I think it's a separate skill to necessarily sort of detailed technical cricket analysis. So I do think that people should get a get a look in if they're not necessarily ex-cricketers
1: absolutely um and yeah your commentary just reminded me it brought me back to uh, my parents actually live in the uk so you know i'm technically a british citizen so i often do go back and i've lived there worked there so they just took me back to sitting in my dad's car while he's dropping me off at the train station listening to just switched on the radio and listening to uh, bbc tms uh uh test special um i'm curious uh, you know how difficult is it to switch between those two because actually that was going to be my question about how on tv you're talking two pictures on radio you're not so you just described that beautifully uh you've illustrated it beautifully um how difficult is it i'm assuming sometimes you're switching very quickly between radio and tv is it hard to like adjust do you like oh i have to like completely change the way i i speak do you have to get into a different mindset how do you train to to switch
0: So it's only really over the last couple of years that I've been allowed to do commentary on television. Uh, Before that, I would play the role, a similar role to what Zeneb Abbas plays in Pakistan, Mm -hmm. right, where you're Mm -hmm. sort of presenting the coverage or you're asking the question, welcome everybody and all that kind of stuff. Um, You know, that was my role. But I got a chance to commentate on TV uh, last year and this year, uh, both on international cricket and on The 100. And The 100 was very challenging because oftentimes you'd be doing radio and then you'd rush over and you do TV. And as you say, they're two very, very different disciplines. As much description as you can on the radio and minimal stuff, value-adding stuff on television. So uh-huh. you don't need to say the bowler is running in because they can see the bowler running in. Uh, you can describe an Tell that to Wasimba, your friend.
1: Tell that to Wasimba because <laughs> he can't help it. He can't help it. Sorry, I know you Listen, can't make fun of him, but I will. <laughs>
0: I will never, ever, ever have anything ill to say of Wasimba. He's shown me so much respect, right? And also, I make a point of not, uh, saying anything negative about anybody who does the same thing. I know. As me, whether it's I, I, I've heard you say that. That's very respectful
1: and that's very sweet. I, and I totally will not, uh, uh, you know, invite you to do that. Except, I hope you will be okay with me doing that on the side, just doing a few shit takes on the side while you. You stay can quiet do what you want. Laugh. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not endorsing any of it. But yeah, I'm. <laughs> I'm here.
0: Uh, I. So the thing is, like on TV, like you want, you want more analysis so you can, and reaction. So it's okay to say, "What a shot." or bold him mm. or what a delivery like that's totally fine what you don't want is to add the level of description where it's unnecessary you want the pictures to breathe a little bit and it's still something i'm learning because i mean i get constantly getting feedback from my uh producer in my ear like uh I'll just let the pictures bleed a little, uh, breathe a little bit um bring in somebody else to the conversation can you reference so and so thing and obviously you, you've got to bring in loads of different things like you might have to say that oh this match is running a little bit late but you know Uh, strictly come dancing will begin after the conclusion of this match or whatever it is right Mm -hmm. so there's various things to remember but like for me what's most important is while I'm remembering all these little technical things is to retain my personality the thing that brought me to the dance in the first place so people Uh like the enthusiastic cricket fan in me that is me that is me at my most sincere when I'm watching cricket like even you know yesterday I was trying to just Even as Pakistan were losing a game of cricket, which is difficult sometimes, especially in the circumstances mm-hmm. they lost. But you know, you have to remain balanced, but also keep, continue to bring the energy and uh, you know respect the sequences of good play in front of you. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it, it's different. It's difficult. I love it though. I really enjoy it, and I, I really hope to get a chance to do more of it. Um, yeah, it's. It, 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 but you're bang on. It's 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 hard to come into it. Um, if you're not an ex-cricketer because there's a lot of resources as you mentioned sky sports you know those guys are all fantastic and part of that part of that is definitely a natural inclination towards the skill set but also is the fact that they've been given incredible training incredible guidance they have some fantastic support staff providing Mm -hmm. them with statistics and insights and information all sorts of things that they need um we get a bit of that on the radio for sure but generally speaking you're kind of off trying to find your own observation on the game or trying to you know think of your own sort of narrative uh that you want to push for the game and things like that and you know it 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 is a challenge and yeah it's it's a very difficult vocation but if you get it right it's incredibly rewarding
1: that's fascinating and uh yeah the way you're describing speaking to pictures versus not is really reminded me like when i worked in the newsroom obviously it wasn't sports but when you have like these big historical moments, like for example, when Mubarak, you know, stepped down, I remember I was in the newsroom and one of the things that at Al Jazeera where they asking the presenter or maybe the presenter themselves, I've heard different stories, just staying quiet and saying, listen to the voice. And you basically just see the mass crowd in Tahrir Square and you just hear the chants. And that's just so powerful, right? You don't need to talk over it. You need to let people hear it. So that's kind of interesting that in in sports, it probably works in some way similarly.
0: It does. And, you know, again, it's sort of based on the editorial set in your show. So yeah, if it's the news that you're reporting on, then again, you've got a very specific guideline of exactly how you need to talk around the pictures or the mm-hmm. kind of uh, voiceover you prepare for it. And again, with cricket, it's, you know, it is long established things that you should be doing. Uh, you should be talking about the field all the time as a as a fan when the ball goes up in the air. And you're watching the coverage this is a big bugbear of mine that some commentators don't do like talking <laughs> about the field. and by the way this is one thing was seen by does really well he always talks about the field right yeah. and uh and it's it's an important thing you want to know if fine leg is up or up inside or or or, or out you want to know if uh you know the third fielder is on the edge of the circle or deep Absolutely. on the boundary you want to know if long on is back or you know or you want to know all these things so that you know you're fully informed when you're watching uh the coverage or indeed listening to it so yeah, there's there's a few sort of established tropes. That's just one example, but there's so many things that you should be referencing. Like and you should always be talking about the score in radio commentary at, at the end of every over at the very least, but mm-hmm. perhaps uh, more often than that, depending on the match situation, uh, reminding people who how much each batter is on, what the bowling return for certain bowlers mm-hmm. is. But there's all these little disciplines that you have to lean into um, to make sure you get it right. But again, it's it's down to, you know, the, the long established narratives of the piece. You can reinvent them to an extent, but at uh-huh. the end of the day, people listening to cricket coverage want to know the score. So you must give them exactly. the score. <laughs> exactly.
1: Yeah. And especially on TV, at least you can go look and you have the big scorecard on the side, you know, at least yeah. even then it, it you should repeat it, I guess, but um, on radio, it's much more important where you've just clicked on. You have no idea what the context is uh, sometimes. So,
0: I, so that's a great way to look at it. So on radio, you could say after the 18 overs, England are 174 for three, right? Whereas on TV, You've got to add a little bit more to that. You can say England 174 for three after 18 overs, two overs to go. How far can they take this total? They'll feel that if they don't get to 200 from here, it'll be a below par score. So you've got to add something. You know, Absolutely. you can't just okay, yeah. describe the picture. you got to add something to it.
1: Because it's already there. Oh, fascinating. I didn't think about that part. Okay, I will watch out for that. This is why I wanted to ask you, because it's so fun. As somebody who loves commentary and maybe takes too many shit takes on commentators, it is good to know how the vocation works for me. There, the there's inside. a
0: lot. The, the first time I did TV commentary, I made this huge mistake, right? Um, this is quite amusing. So the team list comes on TV, right? So who's playing for Pakistan, who's playing for... England, let's say. I don't remember what the match. I know. I remember what the match was. I just don't want to remember it. But yeah. so, so all I did was, when the team list came on the TV screen, I just read out the full team list because that's what you do on the radio, right? Yeah. You'd be like, "Yep, starting for England at the top. It'll be Josh Butler and Jason Roy and David Villan and blah 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 all the way down." Right? You don't do that on TV because people can see the team list. <laughs> yeah. So what you want to say is, you know, uh, uh, Jason Roy is of course not featuring today. In his place, we'll see Will Jacks for the very first time. How exciting! To see him debut also featuring for England, and you pick out so you're picking out a couple of people uh-huh. in that list and saying something interesting about them or an observation about them and uh and and yeah that's what you do rather than just read out the full team list, which i did uh on one of the it was one of the highlights programs I was on, and that's when it was pointed <laughs> out to me for the first time like honestly this is what another reason i don't critique them it's not just out of some professional courtesy it's because i I recognize how much stuff you have to. No, and understand before you get. It's in a hard cheer. job.
1: It's a hard. It job. is a
0: hard job, it is, and it's so much scrutiny because every job, Bl- everybody watches cricket. So everybody watching will have an opinion on the commentary, and uh-huh. uh you, you know you can't fire back, you can't be rude, you can't do anything. You just have to, you know, people will call you all kinds of names and be very abusive, and you know, if you if if you like me work for the BBC, you just have to grin and bear it. Uh, all you can do is block and mute.
1: Yeah. Okay, I mean, I agree with you, but don't make me feel bad about making fun of Grumpy <laughs> or Like, he's running in with Wasim Akram, you know, the Wasim Akram bingo card. But actually, having said all that, I, for the record, even though I do make fun of Wasim Bhai a lot, I actually do enjoy his commentary in part, in one part. Not only was he a legend, but also his humor alone, I think, is, is I, I do love listening to it. Um, well, I, he's
0: got I, the courage of his convictions as well, you know. So when Wasim mm-hmm. Bhai says something, it's never sort of half-arsed. It's always like he has, he believes everything he's saying. He's talking about it. I've heard all the things about, you know, that he repeats and he does this and, you know, he's got little catchphrases. I understand that. I think if he wasn't, was he Muckram, was he Muckram? He exactly. might not get away with that, but exactly. he, he is was he Muckram, was he Muckram? You know, uh, there's a really great, um there's a really great uh comedy quote that I heard. It was Chris Rock, I believe who was like um in a bar and some woman comes up to him and like, is like overly flirtatious with him and his friend comes over to him and says uh, hey man you know that girl's only interested in you because you're chris rock right and he said yeah but i am chris rock so <laughs> so you know it's a bit like that like he is vasima akram um you know you could have somebody you know it's arguable if somebody else would add more value but uh, you, you won't find anybody else who's taken more wickets for pakistan um to be on that uh on that screen and with that personality and that sort of ambassadorial role, I think all things considered, I think he's still a, a plus for for coverage. And I, I enjoy, I don't get to hear him very often because usually I'm broadcasting the same game. But right, uh, yeah. w- w- when I do, I, I, I tend to enjoy it.
1: Yeah, same here. Actually, the, I'm curious about your take. As a, as a viewer, I sometimes think that, especially in TV commentary, you sometimes have three, right? For big tournaments, you have three commentators at the same time. I feel like the balance, because sometimes, it, you know, for for people who may not be paying attention, it might just feel like random. And maybe it is random because you're trying to, like, rotate. But I feel like the combination and the chemistry between the three um, matters. So, Wasim with, I would say, like, with this commentary team we just had, with Uruj and Butcher and Wasim is a great team, for example, one example. Um, It just depends on the sort of makeup of the three. I'm curious what your take on that. I
0: don't like three-person commentary booths. This is very controversial because I'm taking work away from people in my own fraternity. (laughs) But I think think particularly in T20 cricket, you really only want two voices at a time. A a third voice can be there for supplementary purposes, just to Mm. add a little bit of analysis after five overs or 10 overs or whatever. But really, you don't need more voices to guide you through what's happening. Your ball by ball commentator should have most of it covered. Then analysis should be, you should have enough analysis from one of the person. You shouldn't really need a third person. Mm-hmm. I say that knowing full well that even when the BBC does TV coverage, we have three people on commentary at a time. Um, this Sky does it like that. Obviously the PCB who, you know, produce their own stuff. They do it like that. The IPL does it like that. Uh, but I, I don't know, just from my experience, I think two is always enough. And if you've got three you might not get full value out of all three of the people mm-hmm. and you know they sort of one person will end up dominating but if you've got two you'll get a nice combo it's it's not unlike sort of wrestling in a way like when i go think mm-hmm. back to the golden era of wrestling it mm-hmm. was always the two people booths that i enjoyed the most vince mcmahon bobby heenan or gorilla monsoon bobby heenan or uh jim ross and jerry the king Lawler. Yeah, sorry i don't want to extend the analogy too far but no, no. i think i think the two person thing works I prefer I prefer it again it's a very very subjective opinion uh but I think you know you if you have two then you you've got a chance to really put yourself uh, fully out there especially in a T20 game uh where you know for 5 overs you don't have to worry about moderating your opinion or getting it qualified by the third person mm-hmm. you make your point you make your opinion and in 5 overs time when you change over and have two different commentators come in they can you know mm-hmm. posit their own version of that so th- that's just my that's just my take on it
1: that's interesting. I did like with Sky where they do the third man because then the third person is kind of the basically the sort of like bringing out like a particular analytical point and just focusing on that, which I kind of like uh, in that. Sort totally. Of like
0: that's a great. You know, I think that's a great position. Third man or somebody just to add a bit of analysis after a chunk of play, particularly in test cricket. Mm-hmm. You know, like, you know, it's not you saying was yeah. so, so good at that. Where he like, I've just noticed this with Anderson. Or, I've just noticed this with Coley. Like he broke down um the way Virat Kohli's stance evolved over Uh two seasons and that was fascinating to see how he would adjust his stance from series to series and how his his feet would sometimes be pointing to point and other times be pointing to extra cover like that is very very interesting and Uh you want that and it needs its own little section you don't really want to do that in between balls especially in a t20 game right in a t20 game like you you say oh I'll complete my point after this ball, but then something crazy happens, as it often does in T The match is has completely changed, days. yeah. Yeah, and you, that point has gone, f- f- you know, and you probably won't get a chance to make it again. So yeah, that that's that's my reading of it. That's
1: a good point. That's that's are right. Like now that I think of it, yeah, it works well in the Test match format with a third man type style. Now I uh, yeah, <laughs> quick background on Wakar. You don't have to say anything, but like I love how uh, my theory is that in the last series he wasn't grumpy Wakar because of the Dolence, um you know, the big washing machine. I have a feeling that he was so amused by that, that he just couldn't be his grumpy Wakar self. But that was, that's just my theory. Uh, You don't have to add to it. Uh, Again, you're you're not going to shit talk. And I like that. Um, I'm going to say I like (laughs) Wakar. You know, I really like him. He's he's such
0: a nice down to, John genuinely, such a lovely, lovely guy. Uh, And uh, I've always had pleasant exchanges with him. Um, I had a chance to work with him as well. Again, he was so, open to doing things i didn't i don't again i didn't hear any of his work on this england series just because i was you know broadcasting myself Mm -hmm. but um i think sometimes If you're not getting the best out of your players or your contributors, your producers should be taking some of the blame as well. A bit like selectors Mm. or coaches taking the blame when your players aren't performing on the field. Are you using them correctly? Are you giving them the right kind of guidance? Are you giving them the feedback they need to improve? Like, you know, like let's spread that critique out a little bit if there's, um, if there is indeed critique to be made
1: good point and beautifully diplomatically done by the way if i have to say wow i was like oh I, while i finished that thought i was like oh that was a dumb one i should yeah, have done people that people with my but last
0: you... people with my last name do very well in politics i've been told <laughs> <laughs>
1: well played well played um actually that's a good question i think i was listening to 81 all out podcast which i love that siddhartha vadiyanathan does um and he had people who have been working in tv broadcasting from the broadcast side not from the commentator side so i'm kind of curious um just because you just mentioned the producers what role do the producers play so what is the um if you're in the commentary booth what exactly are they doing in relation to you um in that context
0: so it's it's very similar for both TV and radio. So with TV, it tends to be a bigger operation. So they won't be in the same room as you. They'll be like in a production truck, most likely, where they've got access to all the images from the game. And, you know, they're talking to like your camera operators. So they've got a tough job, the directors and producers, because they have mm-hmm. to call the shots, decide, OK, go to this camera person, go to that camera and the ball chaser so the ball chaser is the most important camera person because when the Uh ball goes up in the air they have to chase it literally um so you know they're managing that whole process in between that they're trying to listen to you usually they'll break that role down amongst a couple of people so they're listening to you and they'll just say you might want to mention or they'll say things like in three seconds on your screen you're going to see a shot of Lahore. you might want to talk about that you're Mm -hmm. going to get the 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 worm for the innings you might want to talk about that you might you're going to get that list of highest run scorers in t20 cricket you might want to talk about that so Mm -hmm. you know graphics things like that they you to. They give you a little countdown. They try and keep you to time. They give you little instructions if you're making a mistake or you've made a mistake. Uh, they might even throw little facts uh, about the game at you. They can do all of those things. Mm-hmm. On, the, on the radio, it's the same, but it's a bit less intrusive. So the most I'll get out of my producer on Test Testament Special uh, at the very most is like if I reference something like, oh, Muhammad Harris is on the field right now, not quite mm-hmm. sure why Rizwan isn't playing uh at the moment but we'll try and get you an update and he'll come in with me with a note and say this is why rizwan's not there and then bang you can get that out there and again he'll tell you like remember to promote the premier league football that's coming on at eight o'clock or whatever so Mm -hmm. you know it's it's all these kind of things but they do have to manage a lot of stuff they're trying to keep things to time they're organizing your guests they're talking to the uh the transmission studio as well so they can get you on and off the air Mm -hmm. properly and if they have to cut to sort of external audio Mm. there's a lot to manage like I've, i watch them work and i'm in awe of the work that they do our producers on test Match special we've got like a few of them um and they're all sort of equally brilliant i really really enjoy working with all of them and uh they have to deal with grumpy talent as well so sometimes i'm grumpy for various reasons why did i wanted to do the end of that game but I ended up doing the middle overs like Ugh. uh you know th- i feel like kind
1: of i don't know you obviously personally but i feel like you're probably the least demanding uh of all the talent on the, on, on vc that's just my yeah
0: I try and be thought. really easygoing. I try I try my best to be as easygoing as I can. Like I don't wanna like I'm I know that I'm Like I'm still a cricket fan, right? Uh-huh. And, I go back to two thousand and ten. I'm just that guy who, you know, still gets giddy about having worked with someone like it was Seamar having been in the same room as him, never mind having worked with him, you know? Yeah like I, I, I adore cricket. So you know, of course, I have my moments where I'm probably a bit unreasonable, but genuinely, generally speaking, I try and just rem- like be very, very grateful um, for the the station I've been given.
1: Yeah. And uh, going back to Hijab, Hijab had that experience herself, right? Like interviewing Wasi you know, still a fan. So she's probably going through what you went through in the most sort of raw way 10 years ago. You probably still feel that way, as you said, but she's probably feeling that in a very sort of um, uh, heightened sense at the moment, that feeling of being a fan. Yeah. And suddenly.
0: These are one of the challenges that we've, that I, 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 I don't want to give her any advice or anything like that. I don't think she needs any advice. She's doing a wonderful job, but mm-hmm. like, it's just one of those things that I've been told as well. Like, just, you know, as you spend more time in this space, it's inevitable that you become friends with certain cricketers. You, you know, you develop relationships with them. You, you, you sort of root for them. You chair for these cricketers, mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. try not to ever let that impact your, um, analysis or your credibility on air. So, for example, you know, I think it's reasonably well documented. I have a friendship with Moan Ali, mm-hmm. uh, the England captain at the moment legend. but, it, but I try not to I try not to let that impact my analysis of his game like obviously he's had a great year, so it's been very easy this year to be fair. Um, but then when we talked about selection matters for England's T20 World Cup squad, like I have to give credence to the argument that it's possible, depending on the conditions, that he doesn't start for england in the t20 world cup like it's possible i i would probably still start with him just i think the experience you know i genuinely think the experience that he brings and obviously just coming off the back of this experience in pakistan like he's a valuable asset but just as a as you know and chris smokes is another one that i work with like you want to be you want you you can be very open and honest but when you're giving credibility you never want to feel like you're missing credibility in a certain instance so you have to just be in control of your um Emotions and your emotional connection to certain players. So this is the big challenge. Like, you know, if you if you were a cricket writer, it'd be more of a challenge because you're asked about your opinion more often. True. So you're constantly putting pen to paper. You know, we talk about this in Pakistan a lot with like, oh, certain broadcasters, oh, this broadcaster is just obsessed with this cricketer, or this guy just, you know, lobbies for this guy. All agenda.
1: It's exactly, a. Yeah, yeah. Agenda.
0: Whatever. Oh, they're always out to dinner or whatever things like that. I don't know if that's always founded, but you you want to avoid that
1: as much as is possible. You know, even the perception, so you even the perception, whether the reality. Even the is perception,
0: real. exactly, because you know, in this world where everybody has an opinion, particularly in the world of social media, where everybody's opinion is considered equal and uh, important, you have to, you know, you have to moderate for that a little bit. Like never let it take away the essence of what you want to bring to the table, but you also just want to be mindful of looking like you're on someone's bandwagon.
1: And just uh, very quickly, just because you brought Moeen, Moeen Ali, and I'm a massive fan. Obviously, I don't know him personally, but I've always been a huge, huge fan. Um And uh I I was talking to a couple of people, um, you know, about him very recently. And um I know there's a lot of complicated various reasons about what happened with his test career. But I actually do think in this case that, because uh, I used to, you know, I was in the UK when he was uh, playing for England in the test matches a lot. And uh, I do think the narrative about him being a, not frontline spinner at a time where England didn't have a lot of options and actually his wicket taking ability. He may not have been the usual off spinner who keeps it tight and doesn't give a lot of runs away. But in terms of his stats and what he was bringing to that team in the context of what was available, I think it's, pure i think it's a lot to do with media narrative destroying his test career of course he he could have done better there's all sorts of other nuances but i actually do think that media narrative in the uk and in this case a lot to do with sky which is a shame but also others on bbc like michael vaughan um uh did uh, i think affect uh, the perception of Moina Lee in test and uh, i think curtailed its test match career from my perspective i'm curious what you what you think
0: well I mean, I I remember I was asked by the BBC to interview him um, after after the, his retirement. It was a very long interview as well, sort of a ninety minute interview I did with him that went out on the uh, TMS podcast. And again, he was so ref- he's so honest and so open about the decisions he's made in life and what he wanted for himself and how he felt he was treated. He didn't really seem to mind anything i didn't seem to have any regrets like obviously i pointed out everything like you know you've been made to bat at so many different spots it's so difficult to settle when you're constantly moving around you know sometimes you're the frontline spinner sometimes you're the second spinner sometimes you're used in this role but you're still critiqued in the same way you know certain captains look like they had your back more than other captains but Mm -hmm. he didn't really like without He wasn't being disingenuous in any way but he didn't really mind and i think he does see the big picture i know there was sort of this tease of Moeen Ali potentially playing test cricket again this year. But I think he sees the big yeah. picture, you know, at this stage of his career, uh, depending on how well he looks after himself, he could potentially have another five, six, seven years. Does Hope he really so. want to spend that time playing test cricket? Would he like to maximize his earning potential, go out, play some league cricket, continue to represent England in, in white ball cricket, potentially, uh, you know, eventually just slimming that down to T20 cricket uh and you know then eventually moving into sort of an ambassadorial role like he's got a lot of options a lot of value to not just english cricket but cricket globally you know he's Mm -hmm. this huge symbol in in english cricket and uh i think he's worn it so well he's been a one he's like everybody loves moeen ali i don't i've never met a cricketer or a cricket journalist or broadcaster anybody who ever had any issue with moeen ali he's just a wonderful wonderful man just really you know, well mannered, the way he carries himself, he's got the gravitas, he's got the personality, like everything you could ask of a person. So like he'll be a sought after person, not just in England, but outside of England, especially as this sort of league cricket thing continues to take off. So if you're no longer playing Test cricket, it's maybe not the worst thing in the world for you personally, especially sure. at this stage of his career in life. I think I think he, he's still got he's got a pretty exciting career ahead of him still.
1: Absolutely. And I think I understand why he wouldn't be coming back himself personally and all those things. Uh, but yeah, I, maybe I'm wrong, but I genuinely do think that his test career was curtailed, I feel. And I think it felt like problematic to me, uh, in the way it was done. But, and, and also something I'm kind of curious about because you know him personally, but I feel like at least outside of the UK, he also, uh, it might go unnoticed that he also seems to have a dry sense of humor. Um, that is, I think, quite funny. I think he's got a brilliant sense of humor. Maybe in the UK, it's more understood because of the style, you know. Maybe outside in Pakistan, that may not come across.
0: He's really funny, um, because he's so sensible. So often, right? People assume he's not very funny,
1: yeah. but he
0: is really funny, particularly when he's around people he's very comfortable with. So mm-hmm. I remember the first time uh, I had dinner with him, Adil Rashid and uh, sake Mahmood. So the four of us are having dinner, uh-huh. and uh you know Adil Rashid didn't know a lot about my work he's like, oh you used to be a comedian right I'm like yeah I'm still a stand-up comedian he's like what kind of comedy and we're talking about comedy and Moeen says something like you know what I quite I'd like I like knock knock jokes <laughs> so <I'm> like, "What?" <laughs> and then and then he and Adil Rashid would just tell each other knock knock jokes and just laugh at each other and laugh with <laughs> each other it's the it's the most bizarre thing I've ever been a part of bear in mind I'm older than all these guys right so um, yeah you know so there's an element of that only, only marginally we're sort of the same sort of generation me Moin, and Adil at least but certainly older than Saqib and uh, yeah they you know they just they sort of banter between them it's really cool to see people use that as well so on the BBC this summer we did a clip of uh, Moeen Ali and Adil Rashid having a bowl out and they're just sort of trash talking each other and it was just a lot of fun to see like they are they are genuinely like this whole England team, to be fair, is not unlike the Pakistan cricket team in that uh-huh. it's it's a very likable group of guys. They're Absolutely. all really fun, really friendly, really nice to talk to, really nice to spend time with. Um, yeah, they, they're all great. I, I genuinely really enjoy those. Like, you know, after a long day of like a test match, you know, you've, you've, you've had a really, really long day. You've been broadcasting. You've been there from eight o'clock in the morning. In my case, you presented the highlights and now you're back at the hotel. You maybe just want to nap or decompress or whatever or eat something and just go to bed. But like, I look forward to seeing everybody after the game and especially the players mm-hmm. like chatting and, oh, that was so great. And sometimes you'll talk about the cricket, but other times you'll, you'll talk about other things, you know? Uh, and, uh, and it's, it's a really nice fraternity to be a part of in those, mm-hmm. in those moments.
1: You brought up earlier, you know the difference in style between gorilla cricket and test Mat sofa and then T- uh, test match special so just one last thing i feel like each broadcaster has its own sort of identity its own sort of style i'm assuming um and particularly with the bbc you know which holds its tradition particularly with its flagship programs like match of the day or uh, test match special um how is that sort of tradition maintained or inculcated is it through training Um, What are the particular features of Test Mat Special stylistically that might be different from other broadcasters in your view? I'm kind of curious if you could just tease those things out.
0: Uh, I genuinely think that the Test Mat Special producer, he's got such a strong vision for the show that he wants to make it more inclusive and make it a show that is you know, accessible to everybody whilst honouring its tradition. So you, you mm-hmm. have Jonathan Agnew, who's like our lead person, like yeah. our, the, the the BBC's been quick there for correspondent. Ages. He's been there for ages. He's the main dude and he, he leads most of England's test matches that we do. I, I would say pretty much every England test match that we do, mm-hmm. uh, including a lot of their domestic coverage as well, uh, The their sort of um, white ball coverage, I beg your pardon. So, you know, he's... Embedded there, and he's so such a part of the fabric of the show that people love listening to him. You know, if you say to like Joe blogs out there that doesn't follow cricket intensely, like, Oh, uh, I'm on BBC TMS, and they'll say, Oh, that thing that Aggers does, so he's become like a thing unto himself. Um, and again, he's a really nice person to work with, and you know, he's always been very kind with his feedback, and he's got strong opinions about editorially what the show should look like as well. But I think between him and Adam Mountford and Isha Guha and some of these voices that are helping shape the future of the show they're mm-hmm. becoming it's becoming a really really I think a, a, not that it hasn't been before but it's become it's in 2022 a, a very very credible place to go not just mm-hmm. for cricket analysis but for an accurate, accurate reflection of cricket around the world you know they they actively encourage you to represent the contrary perspective to make sure you get information about opposite teams and things like that and you know to not necessarily cheerlead for england in these Absolutely. circumstances but but be very of the fact or be uh, you know uh cognizant of the fact that the audience predominantly is supporting england exactly um, yeah so you know there's there's things like that and I, I i just really i really like it i feel really privileged to be part of this team because i feel like i'm getting the very pinnacle of treatment in this world like i, I feel like you know, I could have been in the middle, I could have been at the bottom, but I feel like I'm somewhere near the top in terms of the the guidance I'm being given. So, yeah, it's a, it's a very cool show to be a part of.
1: Um. So finally, getting to the series that just ended, which you were commentating on for the BBC, what are your general reflections of, you know, how the series went? Because it's a tricky one because, you know, it's so close to the T20 World Cup. The results ultimately shouldn't matter, even if for some people maybe it matters a bit too much. Um, who do you think made the most of this, what I would call a practice series before the World Cup?
0: Um, well, I mean, both teams made it clear it wasn't, well, their captains made it clear it wasn't a practice series for them. They were playing very much to win. Though, when you look at the way they use their players, it reflects slightly differently. So I think Pakistan used 18 players over the course of the series and England used 17 mm-hmm. um, in a seven-match series. So that's, you know, that indicates that there was certainly an investment in... um looking at talent, rotating talent, looking at different combinations and things like that. Um, I think England certainly gained more than Pakistan from the series. I mean, obviously, there's the goodwill element and mm-hmm. the PR element that was great for Pakistan. You know, just to have England over, great images, great press, everybody reporting on what a wonderful thing it is, which it is, of course, that England taught Pakistan. 17-year gap, all that jazz. Uh, for Pakistan, they it feels like they're exactly where they were at the start of this series, right? They haven't PM. learned... They haven't learned anything new from this series. The threat is the same that it was before. Um, The problems are the same as they were before. The uncertainty is the same as it was before. Mm -hmm. For England, I mean, they've now opened up, if anything, too many options for themselves. Mm -hmm. You know, Ben Duckett has come in and put in a superb performance in Pakistan. He's not even going to Australia, right? (laughs) Uh, You know, Harry Brooke is like, you know, was thought of initially as sort of like a background replacement for Liam Livingston, whereas now he's like a frontline contender for Liam Livingston. Mm-hmm. Alex Hills was supposed to slot right in next to, um, uh, Josh Butler and, uh, uh, Jason Roy's absence. But like Phil Salt said, Hey, hey hang on, don't forget about me. Yeah. He played some outstanding <laughs> cricket. David Milan was supposed to have a style that's doesn't fit in with this England team. He's not a power hitter, but then he demonstrated exactly what his value is, mm-hmm. uh, in, in the games as well, particularly the last game. So, you know, England have, Uncovered too many, and that's before we even get into the bowlers. But exactly. my point yeah. is, like, that's what I was know, they've, ask yeah. they've got so many options. Getting their starting eleven chosen is going to be the hardest bit for them. But it's good to have that many options. Whereas Pakistan have options that they they're going to be looking at. Well, so and so hasn't produced for nine games, but at least so and so hasn't produced for six games. So we'll give him a go. Like they're in a more difficult position. Like they know that barber and Rizwan are, uh, are fantastic up top uh, within the limitations that they set themselves. They work to the strategy that they have, uh, which Mm. does win them more games than it loses them. And this is another Mm. thing that people don't give them credit for. They've won 65% of their last uh, 30 or 40 games, right? Yeah. So that's a pretty good record. It's only bettered by, I believe, one uh, or two teams in world cricket currently. Um, that's the style they've chosen. Now, some people want a complete overhaul and they want Bargy's done to play more aggressive England-style cricket. But that's not the resources that we have at the moment. Exactly. If you look at the middle-order players who've come in, now again, you can dispute the fact, oh, they never have balls to play. That certainly wasn't true in the, the, the final game, was it? I mean, you've got people coming in and getting their opportunity and not stamping their authority on that position we've mm-hmm. seen india do that you know when surya kumari made his debut he made a 50 on debut ishan kishan did the exact same thing like literally their first games these boys came in yeah. prepared to you know to fully take advantage uh, of that opportunity. Uh, whereas in Pakistan, there's, you know, whether it's player mismanagement, whether it's lack of confidence, whether it's lack of preparation, whether it's inconsistency of place, like it's hard to pinpoint exactly where things have gone wrong. But there is still that issue in the middle order. Their bowlers have done beautifully, amazing, generally speaking. Amazing. You know, yeah. Harris Ralph has emerged as a superb world class, one of the world's best bowlers in this series. Uh, you know, him partnering with Shaheen Afridi. Uh, Is something you know everybody can get quite excited about. Pakistan, you know, they give they'll give Pakistan a chance to defend uh, subpar totals that they set. Mm -hmm. But it's just the fact that Pakistan were in their favoured position of chasing a game and uh, weren't able to win. That was a bit hard to take uh, in the in the final match. And obviously it was a damp squib of a match because England effectively uh, had the game in the third over of Pakistan's innings. So um, that was that was disappointing. But again, you know, I'm not too um you know defeatist about the whole thing i don't mean to be like one of those i've seen a lot of people who behave like this is it they've got no chance at all (laughs) in the world cup like the world cup is a variable format you don't need to be amazing all the way through to win this tournament you need to be amazing at the right time that's the beauty of the format uh plus conditions in australia and the weather expected means that a lot of games will be shortened so it will be sort of lottery-esque who makes Uh it through to the semis um I think Pakistan could still find themselves in the semifinals. I'd Same. I'd back England. I'd back England to get there ahead of Pakistan, as and they're Absolutely. more likely to make it there. But I think Pakistan, um, they do well in Australia sometimes. You know, so I think uh, we
1: did win I the World, World Cup in '92. It was a long time ago, but we did win a World Cup in '92. Fifty we over, we did.
0: We did, and we're both old enough to remember it. So that's
1: good. Um, <laughs> Thanks so, for reminding. me. Yeah.
0: that's cool, man. That's cool. So I, yeah, I, I, I mean it's there's a lot of positives but the positives are the same positives they've always been for pakistan at some stage they'll need to start you know really going in on what went wrong again sometimes you put a magnifying glass on one performance or a couple of performances and you don't really get the data you need um you know i i think you need to go over you need to talk to a player like washil shah like Heather Ali and work out why you're not getting the best of them. We know what they're capable of. We've seen it, right? are exactly. Excellent yeah. batters. Why aren't we getting it out of them on the in the international game? Those are the questions that Pakistan need answered. Uh, it, the the use of Asif Ali, they seem quite content by. It. But like, you know, is is there a need for him to diversify his game a little bit, particularly for those circumstances of Pakistan crumble? And we've seen other teams drop their first five wickets and then still manage to get to. 170, 180. Mm-hmm. Like you know, it, it doesn't always look like it's going to happen with Pakistan's lower order. So there's a few question marks there. They need to address. Um, is Fakhar Zaman definitely in the pick? Out of the picture? Is he- are they still thinking about him? Are they hedging their bets? What are they That's thinking? That's a big with question. Fakhar? Yeah. You know, is it, um, is Shoaib Malik officially done as well? Like you know, there's so many there's so many sort of unknowns for Pakistan. And the the hope was that they would put in enough performances in this England series that you'd have a rough idea what their starting 11 would look like uh in the first game uh against India in the World Cup but the truth is we still don't know
1: absolutely like which those positions great. become more tenuous over time shan masood not sure how to, what to make of that performance Haider ali sadly uh, didn't do well i think he did okay in one of the the last game he played but then he got injured i was hoping the final game he could have done something but uh, you're right. Like, it's it seems like the the question of the middle order, um, you know, still seems maybe even more question marks than before. It's interesting when you talk about the England and Pakistan, I was thinking before the T20 series, if you took the England first six and you took the Pakistan's five, including the two all-rounders, in many ways, that's like the perfect T20 team. You have like the most incredible hitting, depth in bowling, depth in batting. It's, it's in many ways, to me, it feels like the best... Eleven or one of the best elevens you could you could create. um Well, you know. England
0: England has a better balance, no doubt about it. I think they would take their own fast bowling uh like lineup over Pakistan's at the moment. Like you know, it's that age old question. You think if you could have one Pakistani player, who would you who would you add to your team? And people expect them to say Barber or whatever. But they always say something like, "Well, no." To be honest with you, we're quite content Shaheen with the players that we have. Well, even then, they'll say, "Well, you know, we'll back Mark Wood, Chris Wokes. We'll take the guys that we got." You know, uh, you know, we've got Chris Jordan on the sidelines, Sam Curran doing a job, uh, Adil Rashid. You know, will take him. So you know, they, they've got a stacked lineup of white ball players. Like I know they didn't have the best summer in white ball cricket uh-huh. uh, this year, England, but you know they do. I still think on paper they've got the best white ball team in the world.
1: I agree. I think they should be favourites, considered favourites for the World Cup alongside maybe India and then Australia next. Uh, I think with England batting in particular, and then you're right, the bowling is. Uh, with Wood back, I think it changed. To me, at, the, at least, it feels like it changes the complexion of the bowling lineup as soon as Wood comes back. And then to, uh, Topley looks like a really good find as well. Um I'm curious. What would you be? Like, if you were to pick, you know, this is a tough question. This is going to get a lot of shit for this, actually, if I clip it up, especially. What would be your starting 11s for Pakistan and England? Sorry, put you on the spot before... Before like they goodbye.
0: Um, sure. Like, don't clip this up because I look like a state right now. But, uh, <laughs> no, no, I think just the
1: audio, not the. Not okay.
0: The <laughs> so, all right, let's have a think about this. Let's start with England because that's a little bit harder than Pakistan. Mm-hmm. So, you'd have definitely Josh Butler opening the batting. Um, freak. I'd go absolute with absolute freak. I'd go with Alex Hills alongside him and Phil Salt at number three. Like I'd play all three of them. I just think there's so much value there. I'd play all three of them. Um, I would then go to um, uh, Liam Livingston at number four, uh, Harry Brooke at number five, Ben Stokes at number six, Moeen Ali uh, and then Chris Wokes, Adil Rashid, Mark Wood and David Willey. That's, the 11 that I'd go with the name that's missing that you're trying to work out is David Milan.
1: (laughs) So you dropped Milan, huh?
0: I think, like, without prejudice, I think I would just because of the resources that are there. Like, again, I know it's very, very debatable. He adds stability and all that kind of stuff. And, yeah. and, and he's a great batter. And he's still, I think, ranked at number one in the all time ICC ODI ranking, uh, T20 rankings list. Um, I definitely have him in my squad and I have him there, maybe rotate him into certain games. But if I was going first choice 11 right now for England, like, that's the 11 that I'd go with. I'd find a way to get all of those, uh, you know, box office power hitter players in there which uh-huh. is, of course, contrary to Pakistan's strategy, but I, that, that's the way I'd go.
1: Okay. And uh, what about Pakistan? <laughs> Pakistan,
0: Pakistan is... Well, it's, it is and it isn't. Pakistan's lineup kind of sort of... Right now, it just picks itself by default, really. So, obviously, you've got Barbara okay. Rizwan at the top. I'm not going to do the funky things like what Guy Yunus was doing, which putting Barbara down to three and fuck her up top and all that. Um, <laughs> I, I wouldn't do that, but I would uh, play Fakar So I know he's been out of touch, but um, I think I think he's you know he's got enough in the uh, you know I- enough achievements in the locker and enough skill we know and also the name value that you kind of need in these such situations. And I think right now there's a feeling amongst teams that if you can get through Barber and Rizwan, you're through uh, Pakistan. But if you've got a fucker in the middle order, you know, and all the gravitas that fucker has, and big game, prevents. he's got big.
1: He's played well in some big games. So yeah, that he also. Has
0: I, I, this is why I'd have him in, uh, at three. Um, at number four, I would make a choice and go with uh, between Hustil and Heather. Uh, I think I think Hushtil would offer you an option with the ball. Theoretically, of course, he's never really bowled for Pakistan, not under Barbara's captaincy. Even though he got a lot of wickets in the PSL last exactly, time around, yeah. um, so I mean, maybe Heather is getting the nod ahead of him for that reason. Uh, I think right now he is preferred as well, but I think one or the other, Heather or Hushdil at four. uh, I'd go with Shadab at five and Asif Ali at six. Mm -hmm. Um, And then at seven, uh, Muhammad Nawaz. uh, And and Nawaz is sort of a floater in that position. Like he could go above Asif Ali if required, obviously. Uh Um, uh, And then you get into your bowlers. So your bowlers will be, you know, as expected, Um, Shaheen, uh Harris, uh and then like this is the only sort of controversial one. I would take Nassim um ahead of uh Shah Nawaz, which I think he's he's part of the squad at the moment anyway, isn't he? Yeah same. yeah um and then yeah, that's it. That's the squad, right? What did I miss? Any? Did I miss a position?
1: I think you missed Iftikhar, maybe the Iftikhar position.
0: Yeah, of course. Yes, I beg your pardon, Iftikhar. Yeah, I'd have the car or Sean. Um, probably Iftikhar because you need the over in, but I'd have Sean there uh, as a sort of backup to to Fakher. Um, I think that's the only role you can fit Sean into in that team. He's demonstrated, um, you know, a, a really valuable skill, but um. Yeah, I think of the two of them, at the moment, Fucker offers you better value in T20 cricket, uh, is my opinion. Obviously, he, F- Sean's been in great touch, so he deserves to be in the conversation. And, you know, it's very subjective. Maybe he deserves to start for Pakistan, who am I to say? But in my 11, I'd probably, because I want those extra overs out of my spinner, uh, I'm going to I'm gonna have uh, Iftikhar in my lineup, and uh, I'm definitely going to favor Heather slash uh, Khushdil, because you need one of those kind of players in your lineup uh, as well.
1: Yeah, I'm, I'm actually exact. That would be, be my exact, uh, 11 as well. Um, Heather, you know, in terrible form as well. But for me, it's kind of like, I would, we've got such a deep batting lineup, uh, at least in theory that, yeah. um, you can have a maverick, you know, like a kind of, I guess a wild card batter like Heather, who's in bad form, but you know, his ceiling is really high and he's a young player. So, um, see what he can do. His ceiling is so high that it's worth taking a risk, um, with him in the lineup, uh, in my view, at least. Um, thank you so much. Uh, Atif, uh, I really, really appreciate it. Um uh you know, I, I I threw some uh sort of grenades or bouncers at you, but uh you ducked them b- beautifully. Um really, really diplomatic of you. Um
0: <laughs> I didn't I didn't think I was being particularly diplomatic to be honest with you. I just like I don't I don't think it's diplomatic like if I don't wanna like um say negative things like i think everybody should be like that. i don't think we should say negative things for the sake of it right yeah um like i and certainly not abusive and also, certainly
1: definitely not abusive
0: definitely not abusive and definitely not uh when you when you know that the position you speak from has carries a little bit of conflict. So um, as in you, cut, it's loaded. My position is loaded. So I don't want to ever look like I'm trying to benefit off somebody else's back. And I don't want to be negative no. for the sake of it. You know, I, I, like everybody else, get very, very frustrated when some people just think, like, oh, you never get angry at Pakistan. You just, <laughs> you just never get mad. The truth is I get just as frustrated as everybody else. Uh, I just try and find a way to express that in a way that is at the very least calm, uh, respectful. And if I'm at my absolute best, constructive. Um, but yeah, like, I, yeah, I just like, I'm a polite guy, man. I, I pride myself on being polite and well-mannered and nice. And I think, uh, I don't think that's a bad thing.
1: No, I think that's a good thing. And I, I hope I didn't put you in an awkward position at any point. Cause yeah, that was not <laughs> my intention at all. All right. Thank you so much, Atif. It's my
0: pleasure, Sami. Thanks so much for having me, bud.
1: Thank you for listening to this podcast. Before I finish, I just want to say thank you to DeKobe for letting me use his music. You can donate to my Patreon page if you would like to help me in continuing to do these podcasts. Links with information about the guests, the music, and the Patreon page can be found in the podcast description. Thank you.
0: Sports Social Podcast Network.